What's up, everybody? Man. Hey, well, grab a seat. Let's get turned. Turn to your neighbor and say, let's get turned. Is that still a thing or am I showing my age? All right. That's awesome. Hey, well, I'm your crazy uncle. So if you don't know, now you know. But man, excited to be here with you guys. Man, I got to spend some time on campus today. That was a lot of fun. And uh, I'm sure I saw several of you guys. But man, first off, I just want to give honor where honor is due and, and thank um, uh, Pastor uh, Eli and Mary Gotro. Man, what an amazing couple they are. And uh, Pastor Jason Bell, too. Thank you for letting me be here. And I'll tell you what, man, what is go what's going on here at Chi Alpha is amazing and beautiful. Man, it is so cool to see so many students here tonight ready to pursue God and ready to worship Him, whether this is your first time here or you come every week. This is going to be an amazing night, and it's only going to be amazing if you have an open heart and an open mind tonight. And that's what I'm asking for you. Man, I am not a religious person, so like I love that we were singing that song because I, wanna, I want you to just dismiss every bit of... of, of religious notion that you may have in your heart or in your mind or in your thoughts and just truly just let that go and let the Lord speak to you tonight. I think it's gonna be really good. So, but tonight I don't say, and I don't give honor uh, lightly tonight. I, it's truly an amazing honor to stand in the, in the middle of greatness. And I don't know if you guys know this, but um, what, what Eli and Mary have done for Chi Alpha across this nation is huge. And, and, and sometimes what happens is we get caught up in our circles or our bubbles or our campus and we don't realize the impact that has happened uh, through Chi Alpha and through these amazing people. And, and I think part of that is their heart for you guys, right? And, and the heart for discipleship and the heart to continue to see students grow. And I love that in them. I love that about you. I think it's going to be an amazing night tonight. I love that you came hungry tonight. But um, can I ask you just a favor? Would you just, before the end of the night, go to your small group leader, go to your company leader, go to Pastor Jason or Pastor Eli and just tell them thank you. Tell them thank you for paving the way. One day you guys will be leading small groups. Maybe some of you will be pastors in church. And you guys are leading and paving the way for the next generation. And I want to tell you, man, thank you guys so much for being here tonight. I was nervous that nobody would be here. And uh, so I'm glad that, uh, that you guys decided to come. And, uh, and I think it's going to be an amazing thing. One of the things I know is that, is that what God is going to do on campuses across this, across this nation is going to go through Chi Alpha. I truly believe that, and I truly believe that each one of you have that opportunity to, uh, to impact this campus, to impact your friends, to impact your small groups, to impact the circles that you run in, whatever that is, you have that opportunity. And I pray that you continue to walk in what God has called you to do. And if you don't know what God has called you to do, I'm hoping that by the end of tonight, you do know what God has called you to do. And I celebrate and honor each one of every youth students. So give yourself a big round of applause. Well, my, like I say, they, they, my name is, uh, is Clyde Woods, and uh, man, it is, I am so excited to be here. Uh, I pastor a church in Silver City, New Mexico, home of the Western New Mexico University Mustangs. And uh, yeah, man, we, some of you have been there to that university, and uh, what God has done there is amazing. I don't want to get into a whole lot of detail about that, uh, but just trust and believe that what God is doing there is very similar to what God is doing here, and that is a move of His Spirit on that campus, a secular university 
university where people are coming to know the Lord and students are wanting to meet and their hunger for the Lord is growing week in and week out. And I love that, man. I have a beautiful family and uh, statistics show that if I show a picture of my family, you'll listen to me more. So I want to show a picture of my family if we can. Is that available or? All right, there they are. Yo. So cool thing about our family, another, another thing about God's grace and mercy in our lives is we, my wife and I, that's my wife Ashley on the left, or on the right, sorry, um, and uh, that's my daughter on the left, but uh, we have his, hers, and ours, kids, okay? And so my daughter is mine, she's 23 years old, headed to dental school. Uh, Mason, who's the taller of the two boys, is my wife's from a previous engagement, and then Elijah is our 11-year-old son who's ours together, and uh, he is a crazy, like, crazy kid. Like, he's a dirt bike racer and, like, you know, just always thrill-seeking. But that's my family, and that's my wife who truly is the saving grace in my life, and if it wasn't for her, I would not be standing here with you guys today. She is an amazing woman, and uh, and I I definitely, could you just give her a round of applause because she's amazing. Loves the Lord and loves to worship, and, uh, and she's just awesome. So you can take that off because people are going to get jealous of how beautiful my wife is. And <laughs> we're not trying to cause nobody to stumble tonight. So, <laughs> But, man, I, I am excited to be here, man. On campus today is, like, such a cool environment. What you guys have going on here and the Chi Alpha tent being set up and super cool. And, uh, man, a beautiful university. I love the red bricks and the water fountain and all that kind of stuff. Man, it's beautiful. So I don't know if you guys know what you guys have here, but it is truly amazing. And so I love it. I love the, uh, that the prison's right there. Like, that's super cool. Yeah. Well, I, can, I, I really consider that like home. And so you guys will hear that part of the story here in a little bit. But, but uh, it's nice to, you know, to see that right next to a university. But but I'm excited to get into the Word tonight, and I hope you guys are too. So if you're ready, man, turn to your neighbor and say, get ready, get ready, get ready. Awesome, man. Well, man, I was, I was born and raised in New Mexico. How many of you even know where New Mexico's at? All right. How many of you know that it is not Mexico? All right. Viva, viva Mexico. Like, that's not me. It's funny because we went to uh, a restaurant today at lunch, and... And uh, we sat down, and uh, what was that place called? The chicken, the chicken place. And uh, Cabaneras, is that what it is? Okay. And we sat down, and, and the, the lady is laughing because of the way I'm ordering stuff. I'm like, I'll take the chicharrones, and, uh, you know, and I'll take the fried yucca. And she's like, it's yucca. You know, and I'm like, I'll take the yucca. But anyway, everybody laughs because I look Hispanic. I'm not Hispanic. My dad is 100% gringo, and my mom is Samoan and Polynesian. So, uh, so yeah, so that's what I am. So don't, make, don't be trying to talk to me in Spanish after service because I will not answer you. Let me ask you guys a couple of questions, and let's, let's get into the Word. And I, I tell you what, my heart for church is that it should be enjoyed, not endured. So we're going to have fun tonight. Uh, I hope that you're excited for this, and that's how I preach the Word. Uh, when God called me into the ministry, He said, Clyde, I want you to preach the Word for today's generation to understand. And so that's my heart, is to preach the Word so that you guys will get it, so that it will set a place in your heart that one day, 10 years down the road, you'll remember this night. Not for what I said, but for what God did in your life. And so that's my heart. So I hope that you pay attention. Uh, take notes, man. Get off your phone for a little bit. It'll be all right. Okay. The, the TikTok dances will be there when we're done. And 
and, and, and Instagram will be there. And if, you're, if your girlfriend or boyfriend's not here, they'll be there when we're done, I promise you. And it'll be a better relationship because you'll have God. And uh, let's go. How many of you have ever asked the question, can God use me? Have you guys, raise your hand. We, I need some interaction. Have you guys ever asked that question? Or maybe you asked uh, the question, how does God see me? How does God view me? Um, you don't know the bad things that I've done in my life. Like, how could God use me? How could God use me? Why would God want to use me? I've made mistakes. I have failed. I have let people down. I've lied. I've cheated. I've done all these different things. Why in the world would God choose to use me? Many of us have asked that question, and, and oftentimes our response is, there's no way that God can use me. And I think that me standing here today is proof that God can use anybody if we're willing to go. We're willing to go. I want to tell you just a little bit about my background, and, and, and then we'll, we'll get right into the Word. But I want to show you how God can and will use you if you allow yourself to be used. That's what I want to show you tonight. The title of my message is called Mirrors and Windows. Mirrors and Windows. And I think by the end you will understand what I mean by mirrors and windows. But to make a long story short, 2004, I got charged with second degree murder. I was facing 25 years in prison. 25 years in prison. That is, as, as, a, as a 24 year old young man, that is literally half more than my life that I've lived. 25 years in prison is what I was facing. I was scared. I, was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know which way to turn. I, th- I didn't know who God was. I knew that there was a God, but I didn't know who God was. I certainly didn't have a relationship with him. I grew up in a fantastic home. Family was amazing. Parents were amazing. But we didn't, we didn't get raised up with God. We didn't know who God was. We never went to church. We never talked about God. We didn't do any of that. The only time I heard about God is when my dad used it in a cuss word. That's the only time I heard about God. And I remember um, when I got in trouble in 2004, thinking to myself, why, if there is a God, why am I put in this situation? Although what I did was wrong, but, but you know, those are the questions that we ask ourselves is, how did I end up here? How did I get to this point? And fast forwarding, I ended up taking a plea deal to voluntary manslaughter and with a maximum sentence of seven years in prison. So I was looking at seven years in prison, and we go to sentencing for, for this, uh, go to the trial, sentencing trial for this crime, and I stand before the judge, and the, the judge is, is, looks at me, and in New Mexico, it's a, volu- it's, a, it's a mandatory one year in prison any time that a crime is committed with a gun. And so, so I'm at least looking at one year with a maximum of seven years. And I remember thinking to myself, man, seven years of my life is gone. Sitting there, standing there before the judge, the judge hands down his sentence and he gives me all seven years, but he suspends six of them and gave me the one year mandatory, which is huge blessing, right? And I don't even know, but this will begin to show you the favor of God in my life. And so he sentenced me to this one year. I did my one year, came out, and that's where I became and turned myself into a criminal. I began, people labeled me as a felon, so then I started to act like a felon. And see, many of us, sometimes we get labeled something and we hold on to that and that becomes our identity. And then we hold on to that and then that, that's who, that's, you know, I, I am, I am that. Because why? Because people say I'm that. I am that. And, and so I remember just going through life thinking to myself, I, I began to sell drugs and get into all these bad things. And, 
And in 2000, summer of 2011, my son was born, uh, just, you know, little Elijah, he was just a little baby, and I got busted for selling drugs and, and, and drinking alcohol while I'm on probation and parole, and got put back into jail, and, and I'm looking, man, thinking to myself, I still have two and a half years left on my sentence, they're going to send me back to jail, send me back to prison. And I remember sitting there that first night in, in prison, and I grabbed the sheet, and I tried to hang myself that night. I was tired of living. I didn't know. I, like, I couldn't be free. My freedom was lost. I knew that it was blown. And I said, I'm just going to try to take my own life. And I couldn't seem to figure out how to hang myself. And so then I began to try to suffocate myself. I was tired of living. I, was t- I didn't want to live. I wanted to die. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe some of you in here have struggled with that before. Maybe some of you before have fought that temptation that the enemy has lied to you and told you that your life is worth nothing. But I want to tell you that your life is worth something. It's worth, and it is super valuable. And I remember in the summer of 2011, while all this is going on, trying to commit suicide, and ultimately, obviously did not happen, and, and, and go into September of 2011, September 14th, 2011, and I remember sitting in that jail cell, in a segregation cell, and they had the opportunity to go to a church service. And when they invited us to this church service, they, they offer pizza and Dr. Pepper, usually at these church services. And I said, man, I might as well go and get some free pizza and Dr. Pepper. Can I get an amen this morning? <laughs> right? And uh, I'm used to preaching in the morning. Today, it's nighttime, but you know what I'm saying, right? But, uh, and so anyway, so I go to this, I go to this uh, church service inside the jail and, you know, a 30-foot by 30-foot room and And I'm sitting there waiting for this pastor to come in, this preacher to come in, and waiting for the other inmates to come in, and usually 30, 40 inmates come in, and nobody is coming to church. And and the the pastor comes in, he's like, hey, where's everybody at? I said, I don't know, man, I'm just, I'm waiting, can I eat a piece of pizza while I wait, you know, like... That sort of thing. And he says, he says, man, let's, let, let me ask and see if anybody's going. He yells at the correction officer, is anybody coming to church tonight? He's like, nobody else wants to come to church tonight. Here I am by myself in this room. This is where God has set up a divine appointment for me and him. Isn't that amazing to hear? And so as we sit there, this pastor begins to say, he says, Clyde, he says, he says have you ever said the sinner's prayer before? I said, I, I, I don't even know what the sinner's prayer is. And he begins to lead me and he tells me about this scripture in the Bible. And he has me read it out loud. And I said, man, I want that in my life. I want to change my life. I want to see what God has for me. And I remember when I gave my heart to the Lord that night, my life was completely turned around. Completely turned around. Come on, give Jesus a big round of applause. And I want to show you tonight that God can and will use you if you allow him. Even if you feel unqualified, he will use you. Everybody say unqualified. Unqualified. I want to tell you there's a difference between unqualified and disqualified. God will never disqualify you. And God will always use the unqualified. That's who God wants to use. We see it time after time in the Bible. God wants to use you. To glorify him. The definition, the definition of of disqualified is this, or unqualified, sorry, unqualified is this. A person that does not have the relevant requirements to do a task. In the circle of God, you are qualified. You have the relevant 
stuff to glorify God. You have what it takes to share the love of Jesus. Here's the thing. I may not be qualified to be a brain surgeon, okay? But I am qualified to pray that God would heal your mind or to heal your brain, right? You guys tracking with me tonight? So there are no limitations of what God can do. Oftentimes, the only limitations are what we limit God and we limit ourselves to. So if you allow God to move in your life, he will use you. I promise you that. Tonight, I want to look at a couple of verses in the Bible. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out. And if you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay, too, because we're going to put these up on the screen. But uh, we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Give me just a second. We'll put that up. But Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to go. And then we're going to go over to Psalms, too. We're going to be in the book of Psalms. And if you don't, it's okay. We have these on the screen, so don't. So don't worry about it, okay? So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you're taking notes, at least write it down so you can read it later so you can get the word of God in your heart. Here we go, Ephesians 2, chapter 10. If you're there, say amen. If you're not, say wait for me. All right, here we go. All right, there's one person that's finding it. Let's go, that's good. I told you guys to put up your phone. The phone's the easy way. Everybody knows where every book of the Bible is in the phone. And then you look down at the people flipping their pages like, come on, hurry up already. We're not doing that to you, but <laughs> Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Everybody say masterpiece. masterpiece. All right. Now flip over to Psalms 139, Psalms 139, verse 13 and 16. We're going to have it up on the screen as well. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Highlight that in your Bible. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that, you, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw, me, saw my un, unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Write those scriptures down and you guys can read them. On my flight to, uh, to Houston, uh, did I fly in yesterday? Was that yesterday? Yeah, yesterday. On my flight into Houston yesterday, um, I flew from El Paso, Texas, which is about two hours from Silver City, uh, into Dallas, and then, and then from Dallas into Houston. But as we were leaving, um, as, we were, as I was leaving El Paso, um, you know, how many of you like to fly? I love to fly. Like, I absolutely love to fly. I love the idea of packing a bag and checking a bag and, 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 waiting, and, 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 and waiting in line and the layovers. I absolutely Love it. And so when I get to travel like this, I absolutely love it because I'm like, I get to fly, man. Like, I'm so excited. And, and how many know it's better than driving? And so I do not do well with this big body bends, man. It is hard to drive. I get comfortable and it's, just, it's hard to get comfortable. But, but, but flying is sometimes exhausting, you know, just with the layovers and different things. And, and the most frustrating thing is, is they cram as many seats into those airplanes as they can because they want to save as much money as they can. And and I know for me, again, just being bigger is tough sometimes in those tiny chairs. But let me give you a Southwest hack. Okay, this is a hack that you can use on Southwest. Is you can ask for a free seat and they have to give it to you. 
They can't, if they have a seat available, they legally cannot deny you an extra seat. Did you guys know that? There's a, don't be still in my seats when we go on flights together. So every time I, I try to get to the airport extra early so I can get my free seat. And sometimes they don't have a free seat, but it is amazing when they do because I always save the middle seat so I can have as much room as I want to. And, 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 and the, real, the reality of it is, is when, when there's no extra seats, whoever's sitting in the middle is going to have a miserable flight. Right. And it's just it's just the nature of it. But but I love to get that extra seat. But anyway, as I'm as I'm going through El Paso, El Paso is fairly small airport. There's not a lot of, of uh, TSA agents. That's another thing that we have to deal with. And I'm grateful that they do it. But sometimes it can be tedious and take forever. And you got to stand there with your shoes off and all these different things. And and, and here's what what God was speaking to me as I was coming through the uh, through the TSA is there's two people in front of me. And you could tell that there's obviously an issue going on as they're trying to get through security. And, and as this lady hands the, her identification to the TSA agent, you could see that there's just something not right. And, and, and I, I think he said something like, this is not your ID or something like that. And then the lady turns back to her husband and, and yells at him and says, tell him that is really me. And that... That sparked something, as, as I put this down in my message for tonight, is it sparked something in me. See, oftentimes, we turn to somebody else to tell us who we are. Instead of realizing who we truly are. My notes literally just went away, so hold on one second. And I thought that that was interesting because... See, so many of us have struggled with identity. So many of us have, have questioned, like, I, I don't know, am I truly this? They've called me this, or, you know, they've called me weird, or they've called me a dork, or they've called me this, and, and you know what, I'm just, they called me ugly, and I'm just going to hang on to that. And that is my identity, and we go on through life like it's a bag of luggage, and we carry it everywhere we go. We don't leave the house with it, we don't go to class without it, it's everywhere we go. It's, i got to go back and get that identity that somebody else put on me, because that is who I am. And that's not what God has called you to be. That's not what God has, wants for you. He wants the very best for you. And he wants you to know your true identity. Imagine if we lived a life like God created us to live. What if we lived a life that said, thank you that I am not identified by my past life. What if we lived a life that said, thank you, Jesus, that I am not identified of what people say about me, what they talk about me, what they post about me. I'm not identified by my present faults or my future failures. What if we lived a life that said, it doesn't matter what people think I should be or what they think I ought to be or not be. God, my life is here to reflect you. And I praise you that you made me, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. What if we lived a life that said, I'm not identified by the situation that I'm going through. I'm not identified by the, the issues that I'm dealing with in my life right now. Instead, I am identified of what Jesus called me, and that is fearfully and wonderfully made. What if we lived a life that said, I am the head and I'm not the tail. What if we lived a life that said, I am God's precious creation. What if we lived a life that said, I'm not identified by others? 
What if we lived a life that says, I'm not identified by the world's demands of what Facebook or Instagram or TikTok says I should be, but instead I am identified of what God has called me to be. I'm not identified of where people say I need to go, where they say I need to be, but I am identified by where God has called me. What if we woke up every day and we thank God that I am forgiven, I am loved, I am redeemed, I am saved, I am living a life that is pleasing to Him? What if we lived that kind of life? What if we lived a life that said, I am blessed? What if we live a life that said, I am secure, and I am whole, and I am healed? Instead of what the world has identified us as, what if we lived according to what God's word says about us, which is you are fearfully and wonderfully made. See, when somebody, when somebody uh, uh, tells you that you're not good enough, what they're saying is what God created is not good enough. You know, when, when, when I used to get teased when I was a kid, this is the best comeback ever. When they'd say, Dude, you're ugly. You know what I'd say? So? What do you say to that? What if we lived a life that said no matter what we do, God still sees the Christ in us? What if we lived a life that says, I'm not going to turn to my friends, my boyfriend, my girlfriend, for my identity. Look at what the scripture said in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. God planned for you. You're not a mistake, you're not an accident. You're not two rocks clashing together. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, thought of, created for this time, created for this season, created to do everything that he's called you to do. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. Don't let that be your identity. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I know I didn't choose you first, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It is, it is no fun to be chosen second. You're a masterpiece, man. You're a masterpiece. I want to show you guys a picture. If we could put up that first picture. Do you guys know what that painting is? The Mona Lisa, right? The Mona Lisa. That is, that is painted by Leonardo DiCaprio. And if you guys don't know, that is a, that is a masterpiece. How many of you know the artist who painted that? Okay, Leonardo da Vinci. That is the world's most famous painting. Everybody knows that that is the Mona Lisa. I have another picture here. 
How many know what this painting is called? Say it out loud. Nobody, nobody knows what this painting is, but this is the most valuable painting in the world. It is called Irises, and it is painting, painted by Vincent Van Gogh. Sold for $110 million. that crazy? That's in my living room. I have another picture here. How many of you know what this painting is? Nope, that's not it. <laughs> Hello. That's not it. Did we not get that one? Wah, wah, wah. That's New Mexico Corrections Facility painted that one. Well, I guess we don't have that painting. There was a painting, and it was of some trees, and I painted it, okay? I know. I wish we could get it, but somehow it did not work. But maybe we'll get it before the end of service. But my point in all of that is my painting is worth zero million dollars. It's worth nothing. It is literally, I painted it over... COVID, it's a, it's a Bob Ross tutorial, okay? That's right. And those of you that know, don't know, there's no mistakes, just happy accidents. And so, so that's life right there. That's part two of the message. But let me ask you this. What makes a masterpiece? What makes the Mona Lisa so so popular what makes irises worth literally 110 million dollars what makes a masterpiece a masterpiece for one it's one of a kind okay it's one of a kind there are no other paintings people have tried to replicate the mona lisa people have tried to replicate uh, uh the irises or starry nights or all those different paintings. people have tried to replicate them but it is only a cheap copy of the great original. It is not the original. But what makes a masterpiece a masterpiece is the artist. Everybody say the artist. the artist. So when I tell you that you are a masterpiece, the reason you are a masterpiece is because the artist, God, created you as one of a kind. There is no duplicates. There are only cheap copies of the original. You see, many of us identify with whatever is popular in culture. It got really quiet. See, we follow the trends. We, 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 um, we wear jeans with holes in them. When, in high, when I was in school, you got made fun of. And they'll say, where do you buy your clothes? At the Salvation Army? You know, like things like that. And now you got to go to H&M. I have to go to H&M, M-M-M-M-M-M, because I wear bigger clothes. But, 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 but the reality of it is, 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 is culture sets the identity of who we be, of who we decide to be. 
We, 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 we decide on, on, on how we're going to dress based on what's popular. We decide on how we're going to talk based on how culture is talking. Think about it. We say that's, that's lit. Or she. What does that even mean? My son, all the time, he's 11, he's like, Dad, she. We've, we've let our culture and, and society take away our identity in Christ. We've allowed culture and society to tell us that if you're a Christian, you're weird. Or you don't fit in with the in crowd because you like Jesus. But you want to know what the best outfit that you could ever wear is? Jesus' presence. Let that become a trend on TikTok. So you are fearfully and wonderfully made, fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are a masterpiece because God is your artist. God is your artist. I have a picture. Now we can show the one painted by New Mexico Corrections Facility, if we can. This, this was my identity for a long time. This is what I was identified by. I show this picture to some of my pastor friends and they see this and say, Clyde, it's like there's no life inside of you. Miserable, hurting, lost, broken, confused, identified by everybody, held on to labels of felon and criminal and murderer and assassin and all these things that people called me. Hurtful things. Hurtful things. And it wasn't until September, uh, September 14th of 2011 that I realized who God has called me to be. And what my true identity is. You see, in life, you can take that down. I don't inspire anybody to be that. But if you do, there's grace and mercy for God to redeem it. That's, that's proof that God is just and true to forgive us of our sins. To forgive us of our sins. See, in life we have two things that we get to choose from. We get to choose from mirrors or we get to choose from windows. See, mirrors are what we see. They're what, they're what people have identified us as. We look into a mirror and we see, you know what? I am a failure. I am a mistake. I am a sinner. And when we look into a mirror, we see all the things that have been labeled to, on us, talked about us, told about us, rumors, gossip. Maybe your parents or family has labeled you as something. Maybe you were hurt as a child. And we begin to look in this mirror, and, 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 and when, we, when we look in this mirror, we, can, we can't focus on anything except for what is right in front of us, and that is the identity that other people have put on us. 
But when we look through a window, it allows us to see how and who God created us to be. When, when, we, when we look through the, 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 the window, we can see who God really is. See, when we look in a mirror, we see shame and guilt and rejection and hurt or whatever labels that have been put on us. But when we look through a window, we can truly see the, the God in front of us and who God truly is and all of his faithfulness and all of his promises that he has given us and about us. That would have been a good opportunity to clap, but you guys didn't. But that's okay. It's too late. No, it's too late. It is too late. You ruined it. There'll be more opportunities. I want everyone to stand to your feet with me. The worship team is going to come back up, and they're just going to play kind of slow. But I want, I want everyone to put up, you know, put up your Bibles and put up your phones and all that kind of stuff for just a moment. And I want... I want to see if I can get two people to help me out. Just, just come up here if you want to volunteer to help me out real quick. Come on. Don't, don't wait. There you go. We got two dudes right here. Let's go. Yeah, actually, you'll, you'll work. Yeah, come on up. So you grab the mirror and you grab the, the window. Okay? You can just hold. Yeah. So face the mirror so that you're looking into the mirror, brother. Okay. Don't steal my show, man. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's about God, not about us. <laughs> There's a story in the Bible. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you haven't. But story in the Bible where, where God gives instruction to this man named Moses. And he tells Moses, he says, I want you to go and, and set my people free from the Egyptians. And when, when Moses goes down there, we know he faces some, some difficult times with Pharaoh and these different things. But ultimately, the, the, the Israelites get set free. And when they get set free, they begin to march to their freedom. They've been in kept captivity. They've been slaves. They've done all these things. And they begin to march into their freedom. They were excited about marching to their freedom until they came to the first problem. When they came to the Red Sea, it looked like the end of the road. At this time, Pharaoh had gathered his armies and said, we made a mistake. We shouldn't have let the Israelites go. Let's go and gather all of our army and chariots and let's chase after them. So if you could imagine for just a moment, here the Israelites are, they're, they're, they're faced with this problem in front of them. And they have their past chasing them behind them. You see, this identifies with so many of us today. Because we know what God has called us to. On the other side of the Red Sea was the promise that God had made them. But behind them was the past and, and, and the slavery and the hurt and the pain and all the things that they've dealt with in their life. And with every moment that passes by, their past is getting closer and closer. As they're, they, the, the, the soldiers and chariots, you could probably hear the horses and hear the men screaming. Hear the Egyptians get mad at Moses and say, Moses, you should have just left us where we were. At least we could have died in, in Egypt. But instead, you brought us out here to die. And when, when the Egyptians come, they're going to kill us here. 
and they get so frustrated. Why? Because they could only see the problem and they could only see what their past is. They were looking through the mirror. They could only see what they've been labeled as. You know what? We'll always be slaves. We'll always be hurt. We will always be broken. Matter of fact, here comes my past behind me to remind me of the failures that I've had in my life. But then, if they would have been looking, hold that, hold that picture frame up. If they would have been looking through the window in front of them, they would have seen that God was about to do a miracle in their life. See, when we look through the mirrors, we can look ahead of us and see that God has already gone before us. If we're focused on ourselves, we'll only be able to see our past behind us and the labels that people have called us. So we have a choice. Are we going to walk through and look through windows? Are we going to look through mirrors? If you've ever seen on a car, it says objects in the rearview mirror may be closer than they appear. They say that as a warning because they don't want you to hit something. But the reality of it is, is that's what the enemy wants to do in your life. He wants you to think that your past is closer than it really is. But it's not. Your past has been forgiven. Your past has been redeemed. You are restored. You are made new. You are a new creation. You are a masterpiece. So could you imagine? Yeah, come on, give Jesus a big round of applause. Could you imagine what they must have been facing? In this difficult time, they are set free. And there is their promise on the other side of the Red Sea. And when Moses sticks his staff in the ground and the sea splits wide open. See, we we picture this like it's just some mosey walk across the beach. But the reality of it is, is the Red Sea is some of the deepest waters in that area. So you could imagine there were some hills and there were some valleys. There were some mountaintops and there were some low points. But see, when we're looking through the window, we can see that, you know what, okay, I'm going to be facing a difficult situation. But as long as I keep moving forward, as long as I keep moving to what God has called me to do, and I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, then I will make it through. It doesn't matter if I hit the mountaintop, I'm going to celebrate God. And it doesn't matter when I hit the valley, I'm going to celebrate God. Why? Because I can see what God has planned for me. I can see that God has called me to something greater than myself. I can see that God has called me to something better than what I have been labeled as. But if we have to walk through that Red Sea and we're carrying the mirror, then all we see is our past behind us reminding us what a failure you are. I want you to picture in your mind as they begin to walk, and I want each of you just begin to walk slowly through this aisle side by side. Both of you walk down this aisle slowly. I want you to see that it's going to be a little bit more difficult for for him holding the mirror because although he can probably see a little, his main focus is that mirror. His main focus, can you see me? You see how he got easily distracted? That's what the enemy wants to do in your life. But you see, she's having no problem. She's marching right to what God has called her to do. 
with confidence. Why? Yeah. Good job. Why? The reason she walked through with confidence? Because she couldn't see me. She couldn't see the past. She couldn't see what she had left behind. She could only see what was ahead of her. And that's how we need to live our lives. No matter what mistakes you've made. Look, I I get it, man. I have made, you name a mistake and I've done it. I've done things in my life that I that I wish I could that I wish I could undo. But the reality of it is I got to live with the rest of my life that I took somebody's life. I got to live for the rest of my life that um, that I had a girl that I was dating have an abortion. I got to live with that. I got to live with the fact that I've lied and I've cheated and I've stolen and I've hurt people. But the only time that that, that I talk about that stuff is when I'm encouraging other people to not do that stuff. I don't very I very rarely think about that because that's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am anymore. See, so many of us try to write the end of the story before God's even finished. And what what we tell ourselves is, you know what? I'm done. Man, I've failed. Man, I've made a mistake. Man, I I shouldn't have done this. There's no way that God can use me. The very first question I asked you tonight is, can God use me? Every single person in this room raised their hand. And we've asked that question before. We've asked that question, can God use me? Why would God want to use me? See, the reality of it is, guys, you've done things in your life that maybe nobody will ever know about, but you do. And God does. And you know the only one who keeps a record of it is you. God wants to set you free. He doesn't want you holding on to that past. He doesn't want you living in the, in the past failures and past mistakes. But instead, he wants you to wake up every day and say, thank you, Jesus, that I am set free, that I am redeemed, and I am saved, and I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. So I want to ask a question today. Is there anybody in this room tonight that has never given their heart to the Lord? And if that's you, would you just raise your hand and maybe we've all have and that's okay. That means we got some work to do, guys. There's too many saved people in here. And that's okay, man. I love that. When I had gotten locked up, I got to go to the library and I, I, I took this Bible. They give you a Bible. This is the only book that they give you at first. And I got this Bible and that night when I went to church and that pastor said have you ever have you ever said the sinner's prayer have you ever have you ever heard of the scripture Romans 10 9 and I said no and he showed me as I opened it up I said I have no idea where it's at but I got a yellow crayon and I highlighted it and I put a sticky note in there I put that sticky note in there September 14, 2011. It's been there ever since. And Romans 10, 9 says, For if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. 
That's a promise that he's made. I got out in, uh, in right, around, right around September, October. That following year, the next summer, my brother-in-law, who was a complete atheist, non-believer, hated God, always, you know, when I got out, I was on fire for the Lord, and he would always question me and, and ask me about all these things about God and question God and all the different things, the questions maybe you get even asked today. But in the summer of 2012, he, he got liver cancer. He was working out of town and he came home and he was just completely, his body was like completely yellow. Skin had turned yellow, eyes had turned yellow, fingertips were yellow. Cancer was eating him up from the inside. He goes into the hospital, he's literally moments away from dying. He calls me and says, he says, Clyde, will you and Ashley come up? I want to talk to you. And I remember my wife and I drove down to Las Cruces, which is about a, an hour and a half from where we lived when this happened. And I get there and, and I walk into the room where he's at dying of cancer. And he says, will everybody leave except for Clyde? And I'm standing there next to his bed. I said, what's up, man? He's like, will you tell me more about God? I said, absolutely, man. And I opened up this Bible and I read to him Romans 10, 9, the same scripture that changed my life. And right there, as he's about to die, I lead him to the Lord. And he surrendered his life to God. And he died the very next day. And there's not a doubt in my mind that he is dancing on the streets in heaven today the power of what God can do but let me ask you this all of us in here have given our hearts to God we're all what we would call saved it's a Christian word right but I want to ask you and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand I'm going to ask you to come up front to this altar I know if you don't want to come because of COVID or whatever that's fine too but I want to ask you that if you've been labeled if you've been hurt, if you've held on to false identity, would you come up here to the altar and meet me? Step out of your seat and come up here. We're going to play a song. Just come on up here, man. I'll tell you what, I'm proud of you guys. Because I think there's so many more in their seat right now. And what the enemy is wanting to do, he's saying, don't go up there because people are going to talk about you. Don't go up there because people may say, I knew it. I knew something was wrong. I don't care what anybody thinks. This moment is between you and God. Make room. We got all kinds of room here. I believe there's so many more. I'm going to ask you one more time to get out of your seat. Come on, man. Jesus, speak to our hearts, God. I believe there's even some people right now that shame and guilt have been, have been talked over your life. And you're standing there right now saying, I need to go, but I don't want to go because the shame and the guilt and the hurt that I've dealt with in my life. When we leave this altar, we're not taking it back with us. This is my surrender. Whatever it is, I want you to give it to God. Here is where I live. 
want. You've been labeled. You've been talked about. You've been hurt. That's gone. That's in your past. You are no longer identified by that. Jesus, we make room in our hearts for you tonight, God. 